In the early days of World War II, Winston Churchill told the people of Britain that it was their darkest hour. And now here in the United States, we are being told in America that is, it is a dark winter. When we come to Zechariah's song of praise in Luke chapter 1, According to the Bible, the people of Israel had been living in darkness, in the shadow of death. They walked in darkness. They lived in a dark land. And their dark hour and their dark winter had been over 400 years long. For 400 years they had been in darkness, and the people were looking for a sunrise. They were looking for a sunrise. They were much like a caravan which was lost in the desert at night and they were fearing for their lives. And the word picture in Zechariah's song is that of a caravan that has lost its way, and it's been overtaken by the night. They are stranded in utter darkness. There's no moon. It's a cloudy night, so there's no stars. It's utter darkness. They are lost. They are alone in the threatening, howling expanse of wilderness. It's a picture of lethargy. They can't move. It's an oppressive entropy and despair. It's, it's hopelessness. They are utterly helpless living in darkness in the shadow of death. And God's people were looking for a sunrise. There had been glimmers of light. There was the angel Gabriel's announcement to Zacharias in the temple. His aged wife Elizabeth would bear a son who would be the forerunner of the promised Messiah. A glimmer of light and hope. Then there was Gabriel's announcement to the Virgin Mary that she would conceive in her womb and bear a son, and his name shall be called Jesus, a glimmer of light and hope. Then there was the meeting between the two pregnant mothers and Elizabeth's loud, joyful praise, another glimmer of light and hope. And these were momentary flashes that were signs that the steady rays of messianic sunlight would soon shine on the horizon. And with the birth of John, the forerunner of the Messiah, a faint glow almost could be seen in the sky. And Zacharias named his son, and the people asked, what then is this child going to be? Old Zacharias, he had been made speechless by God for nine months because of his unbelief. Now he responds in faithful obedience. His tongue was loosed, and he gave the final song of praise before the sunrise. The sunrise, which he said, was because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise will visit us from on high. So please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 67, where we pick it up at that point. Luke records Zachariah's song of praise here in the first or in the first chapter of Luke. And before I read it, I want to point out something in my Bible. There's a title heading among, you know, above uh, the Song of Praise, as many of the Bibles have them. And what it says in mine is probably similar to yours. Above verse 67, it says, Zacharias' prophecy, prophecy. Don't underlook or overlook the significance of this. Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and he opened his mouth and prophesied. It had been over 400 years since the words of the prophet Malachi, the last prophet in the Old Testament. There had been no prophetic word for the, from the Lord for over 400 years, 
But now the sun is about to rise. Beginning at verse 67. And John's father, his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, as we come to this portion of Scripture, this song, this glorious song that uh, speaks of the light coming to shine in the darkness, that speaks of Jesus Christ, the light of the world coming into the world to light our way, not only to light our way and to light our path, but to bring us forgiveness and salvation and eternal life with which we will live for with you forever, God, in the great and glorious light of your holiness. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Essentially, Zachariah's prophecy here is a song. In fact, it's a psalm. It has all the makings of a psalm as much as those in, in the Old Testament. And it's a song of praise. And as we know, it's natural for people to sing when they are happy, when they are joyful. And that's why the Christmas season is so filled with music. Song upon song upon song that we play, that we sing, that we hear on the radio, that we hear on the radio, uh, on the internet about the greatest occasion in human history, the birth of the Savior. And Zacharias understands now in his time that this was a time to praise God for the salvation that will come through the coming Messiah. The song before the sunrise here is in an ecstatic chain of praise from beginning to end, and it really, quite frankly, it's intensely theological. We'll be talking about covenants and why God makes covenants with people today. It, it, it's systematic theology heaping praise upon praise. And since his prophecy, Zacharias prophesied, these words, Zacharias' words, are God's words. This is the word of God to us. Zacharias stood as the mouthpiece of God, just as much as he had said, as if he had said, like they said in the Old Testament, thus says the Lord God of Israel. This is thus says the Lord God of Israel. And like Mary's song, Zechariah's song is filled with scripture. His song of praise is drawn from his entire priestly life that had drawn nourishment from God's word. And Zacharias, or God took what was hidden in Zechariah's heart, what Zacharias had hidden in his heart, and God burst it forth in a song of praise when God loosed Zechariah's tongue. 
And there are four stanzas here in Zechariah's Song of Praise. First, there is praise for God keeping his promise to David, to King David. Then there is praise for God keeping his promise to Abraham, the father of our faith. And then there is praise for God keeping his promise in giving Zacharias a son. So there's praise for giving him John. And lastly, there is praise for the sunrise, for the sunrise. So first of all, there is praise for God keeping his promise to David. This is called the Davidic covenant that we'll talk about here in a moment. But let me read it again here first, beginning at verse 68. Zacharias prophesied and said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. This is Zacharias' praise for the fulfillment of the, the Davidic covenant the covenant God made with David. The Davidic covenant was simply God's promise or covenant to King David. And that consisted that uh, David would be succeeded by his son Solomon. And then Solomon would build the temple in Jerusalem, the temple of God. But an ultimate greater successor would establish David's throne forever. There would be a greater successor who would sit and rule on the forever throne of David. And during the long, dark centuries of brutal oppression, first by the Greeks and then by the Romans, the great promise of an enduring, forever kingdom and king fired the hopes of the faithful in Israel. The people longingly looked for the promised Messiah of the house of David. and In theology, it's called the great messianic expectation. When Jesus came and was born into this world, there was already a great messianic expectation, even some of it fueled by the birth of John and God keeping his promise. In fact, please turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, at verse 6, back to the prophet Isaiah the ninth chapter of Isaiah, where the prophet gave expression to this great hope. And, and these familiar words are often read at the Christmas season as we celebrate the birth of Jesus because it begins with the child who will be born to us, as Isaiah put it. And we know who that child is, Jesus Christ. But verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9 says, prophesying 800 years before, for a child will be born to us a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. In the first stanza of this song, Zachariah sang of this great person in Luke chapter 1, here in verse 69, as a horn of salvation for us. God has raised up a horn of salvation. Now that metaphor horn here is derived from an animal's horn. 
like that on a wild ox or an African buffalo. Uh, the horn symbolized great power. It symbolized great strength. The 148th Psalm that Zacharias quotes here in verse 14 says that the Lord has lifted up a horn for his people. African hunters of the Cape Buffalo tell us that when one of those massive animals scuffs the ground, maybe you've seen those, those horns that, that curl up and go back up, these massive animals. And in fact, just this week as I'm preparing for the, for the, for the message, I, I saw a video where these water buffalo with these massive horns and these massive beasts were chasing off a lion that was attacking their herd. But, uh, the cape hunters there that hunt them, they say that uh, when those massive animals scuff at the ground, we've probably seen that before, and begin to rhythmically wave its horns back and forth, it's preparing for a deadly charge. And the animal's horn is its weapon for defense and vengeance. And also, it's an ornament of beauty. The Davidic horn would be raised up in a mighty display of power at the birth of Jesus. And Zacharias also is in verse, says in verse 68 that God has visited us. He has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Nine months earlier, when Zacharias was in the temple and the angel spoke to him, he had doubted God's word to him. But now he believes so strongly that he speaks of a future event as if God has already done it. God has accomplished redemption. In the Greek, it's in the aorist past tense, which is a past tense as a done deal. It's as if it's, the past, it's called a historic past tense sometimes. That God has accomplished redemption. It's a done deal, a done deal for all time. The word redemption implies that those who need to be redeemed are in bondage. Slaves need redemption, not free people. God's salvation comes to those who know that they are enslaved by sin, that they are slaves to sin. And how does that redemption take place? Jesus purchased us or redeemed us or re ransomed us with his own precious blood on the cross. And here Zacharias, who is described as a righteous and blameless man, knew that he desperately needed God's salvation. And Zacharias' song celebrates the majestic, tossing horn of the Savior, Jesus Christ the Messiah, who would effect a mighty deliverance, who would bring us salvation. According to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Jesus, who is this horn of salvation, is able also to save forever, save forever those who draw near to God through him. You know, if it was up to us to save ourselves, we'd all be doomed. But thankfully, it's not up to us. Salvation is of the Lord. And this comes through strongly in Zacharias' song. Well, look at verse 68 of Luke chapter 1, the 68th verse. Zechariah says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He has visited us. He has come to us. 
And so we see the same thing down in verse 18 or verse 78 again. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise on high will visit us. He will visit us. We did not go searching for God. He came and visited us. He did what we could not do for ourselves. God saw our helpless condition. And because of his tender mercies, he came to where we are. The Lord visited us. He took pity on us. And he came down to meet our enormous need in the very person of Jesus Christ, the Savior. You know, if you were living in abject poverty or going through a hard time of struggling with your finances, as so many people are today, and one day a kind billionaire came and visited you, came and knocked on your door, came in, sat down at your kitchen table, and as you talked to him and found out what he was going to do for you, you might have a ray of hope that he would take pity on you and give you some help. But God has done even more than that. Because of his tender mercies, he not only saw our desperate condition and sent us help, but he actually took our human condition upon himself. He took on human flesh, not as a mighty king, someone who's above our weaknesses, somebody who doesn't understand our weaknesses, but he came as a human baby subject to our frailty, yet without sin. And if that were not enough, he even took our sin on himself on the cross, bearing the penalty we deserve. It was all God's doing because of his tender mercy, not because we deserved it. God visited us in the birth of Jesus Christ. And then in verses 72 through 75, which is the second stanza of this song, we see Zacharias prays for the fulfillment of the covenant with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. There is praise for God keeping his promise to Abraham, and it begins in verse 72. To show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he spoke to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. The Abrahamic covenant, or the covenant with Abraham, was first expressed when God promised the childless Abraham that he would make a great nation of him and that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed through him. And later, God emphatically reiterated the promise, emphasizing that Abraham's offspring would be like the stars of the heaven. And it says here in verse 72 that God made a holy covenant with Abraham based on his mercy toward our fathers. Now, the, our fathers there are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers. And God gave the promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that he would have a people come from the loins of Abraham. They would be a people who would spread across the earth. They would be a blessing to the nations of the world. They would have a land and they would have a blessing and they would become a blessing. And a little bit later in the book of Genesis, we find that this covenant also includes a redeemer, a redeemer. And that is graphically predicted and illustrated in Genesis chapter 22. You don't need to turn to it, but uh, 
That's where God tells Abraham to go and slay his son Isaac. Take him up there to the mount and slay him. And then just as Abraham's about to do that, God says, stop. And he provides, God provides a substitute. And the Lord brings out an animal to be slain in the place of Isaac. And God is saying that there will be a divine substitute. There will be a substitute, a sacrifice, who will suffer death on behalf of God's covenant people. And so the Abrahamic covenant is a covenant of salvation. And it's a covenant of redemption. And this is because God is merciful and he sends the one who is the descendant of Abraham. So in fulfillment of the covenants, we see that Jesus is the son of David, but he's also the son of Abraham, who according to verse 74, grants us to be rescued from the hand of our enemies so that we can serve him without fear and with holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. You see, Jesus will not only rule over us as Lord and Master, he will provide holiness in us. He will provide righteousness covering us. And then in the third song of a Zacharias song, third stanza, he gives God praise for the birth of his son, for the birth of John. This begins at verse 76. And speaking of John, he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Now, I don't know about you as we begin to talk about this stanza, but there are times when I am singing songs of praise and thanksgiving, and times when I am preaching, and times when I'm thinking about God, that I get so emotional that I can't even get the words out. Even like right now, my, my voice chokes, my voice cracks, I can't get the words out. And quite frankly, I don't even know how Zacharias could get through this part of the song. We cannot overstate Zacharias' emotion here. There had been no prophet among the Jews for four centuries. His baby was going to be the prophet who prepared the way for the Messiah. After nine months of silence where Zacharias had been made, made mute, he finally recovers his voice and he was using it to praise and prophesy. For sure, Zacharias' words here were not calm utterances. They came in halting, tremulous voice as he struggled to gain composure. Zacharias' song focused here on the depths of John's ministry. He was going to give God's people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. You know, we've looked at the two covenants before, the Davidic covenant and the, the Abrahamic covenant. Did you know and did you realize there was no issue of forgiveness in the Davidic covenant? There was no promise of forgiveness. There's no mention of forgiveness in the Abrahamic covenant. But now there's going to be a new covenant in which God promises the forgiveness of sins. It's the new covenant, verse 78, that brings the sunrise from on high, which will visit us, to shine on those who sit in darkness, to shine on those who, 
who are in the shadow of death. And it's the new covenant that guides our feet on the way of peace. It's the new covenant which John would preach. Uh, Turn over to to Luke chapter 3, where we get a preview of John's message. The third chapter of Luke, the, the third verse. And speaking of John, Luke says in the third verse of Luke chapter 3, And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance, and what? For the forgiveness of sins. For the forgiveness of sins. We need to understand that the new covenant was ratified by the death of Christ. And the reason God can forgive sin is because Jesus paid its penalty. And that's why Jesus took the cup that night before uh, he went to the cross when he was with his disciples, or what we call the, the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper. And he said to his disciples, he took the cup. This is the new covenant, the new covenant in my blood. Because Jesus paid the price for our sin, the new covenant is possible. Jesus paid the price for sin. Jesus died for your sins. He died for my sins, satisfying the justice of God. He paid the penalty. He took our sentence. He was executed for us. And therefore, God can forgive those who come to him penitently and ask for it. So what is the new covenant? It's the promise by God, the promise of God, unilaterally made by God. He just made it all by himself, as it were, just because of who he is and what he does. Irrevocably made by God, it can't be revoked. It's an eternal promise by God by which he will change sinners' hearts, forgive their sins, and they will live forever with him in heaven. The Davidic covenant is universal. It's the kingdom all over the world. The Abrahamic covenant is national. It's their land full of blessing. But the new covenant is personal. It's personal. It has to occur in an individual heart. And it's the only covenant that can forgive sin. It's the only covenant that can deal with disobedience and rebellion. It's the only covenant that can change the heart. It's the only covenant that can make things right with God. And so what comes with the new covenant? Lots of things. There's grace. There's a new heart. There's a new spirit. There's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's the forgiveness of sins. There's eternal fellowship with God. That's the new covenant. And Zacharias ended his song with praise for the imminent rising of the sun. Verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Because of the tender mercy of our God. This is one of those things that defines God his nature, his character, who he is. It's tender mercy. It's tender mercy. Someone has said if, if mercy is music to our ears, then tender mercy is a symphony. It's the highest causes for praise, the highest of all causes, the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of our sins, the forgiveness that's only possible because a Redeemer has come, 
And the Redeemer has been the substitute taken to the altar in our place and slain for us. And as a result of all of this, Zacharias knows that the final promise of the Old Testament has been fulfilled in the arrival of the Messiah. Just listen to what it says in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, right at the end of the Old Testament. The last promise of the Old Testament. The rising has come. The darkness is over. I turned two pages there. Malachi 4.2 But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. The Son of Righteousness will rise. That's the last word in your Old Testament. And then the screen goes dark, the curtain drops, and it's all darkness for 400 years. But Zacharias knows, verse 78 of Luke chapter 1, the sunrise from on high will visit us. Finally, the sunrise. Literally, it's the rising, which refers simply to the dawn. The first light of sun rising to dispel the darkness of night. It's Jesus who said, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The rising has come. The darkness is over. Darkness, 400 years of darkness, and before that, darkness for millennia before that. The rising, the sun, and he will, verse 79, shine upon those who sit in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zacharias says, Jesus is the sunrise promised at the end of the Old Testament, to shine upon us. Shall we pray? Our Father, we do live in a dark and dying world. And even more and more in these days, in this darkest hour, in this dark winter, we even see more and more suffering, more and more despair, more people that don't know what's going to happen to them, what they're going to do, Father. So many people living without hope. Father, I pray that even right now you'd come to each one of us and each one of those who we have on our minds and our hearts right now, Lord, that you would bring that hope, that sunrise, that you would visit each one with your tender mercies. Father, we thank you for your tender mercies, not only the tender mercy that saved us as Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, but Father, even those tender mercies by which you minister to each one of us. Someone said that that mercy is God's ministry to the miserable. And Father, we do thank you that you minister to us with your tender mercies. We thank you that not only have you saved us and redeemed us, that we might live with you forever, Father, but you are actively at work through your Holy Spirit in each one of our lives right now, ministering to each one of us with your tender mercy. And for this, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.